I'm, I have no doubt you'll be able to finish the well-known idiom with me. Children should be seen and not heard. How many of you know where that idiom came from? Does anyone think you've got a handle on where that came from? Was it from the Bible? It was, at least as best as we can tell uh, from my online sleuthing, it was from an, a man, at least, uh, uh, who wrote it down, named John Merck, M-I-R-K. He was a Roman Catholic priest in the 15th century in England. And he refers to it as an old English, I think saw was the word that he used, having the mean, meaning of a, a kind of idiom, a phrase. So already in his day, in 1450 or so, it was a well-known direction for children. He wrote it down. Actually, he didn't say children should be heard, seen and not heard. He said a maid, a young woman, should be seen and not heard, which only makes that saying even more popular in our day, as you can imagine. Children should be seen and not heard. Now, I start there because whoever coined that phrase would have been deeply uncomfortable with what was going on when Jesus entered the temple in Jerusalem and children were not only seen, they were loudly being heard. They were loudly being heard because scripture describes them as crying. Now the idea there, of course, is not weeping, of shouting. Children shouting in the temple. And you can imagine those who would be given to a sense of propriety, a sense of children should be seen and not heard, being revolted at what was this breach of decorum. Now, it is interesting, we should fairly note that the Pharisees, of course, are offended. They are morally indignant. They do not seem to be so morally indignant that the children are being heard. They are indignant about what the children are saying. They say to Jesus here in verse number 16, Hearest thou what these say? Are you hearing what these say? There is a reminder, by the way, that whenever we have certain visions of what propriety is or requires, we should be testing it against the word of God because certainly cultural things like instructions that children be seen and not heard can merely just be views of a particular cultural outlook and not those of the word of God. In fact, we see here, not only does Jesus not still the children, doesn't, doesn't, not only does he not silence them, he accepts it, and not only that, he says, this is what God intended. This is not something simply acceptable. It is something required. It is something necessary. Look what he says in verse 16. And Jesus saith unto them, Yea, have you never read? Now again, what an insult this would have been to the Pharisees. They prided themselves on how much they read the Bible. But Jesus shows they didn't really understand. Have you never read out of the, mouths of, ba of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? And he left them and went out of the city into Bethany and he lodged there. The title of the message tonight, The Children's Praise. The Children's Praise. And I want to look at the children praising here the scriptural significance of it and what it might say for how God views not only the praise of children in that day, 
but how God might direct us to learn from children and to direct our own children's praise and the praise of the children who come into our ministry each and every Sunday morning. Let's start, first of all, with some observations about this praise. And the first observation, really, of three that we're going to make tonight is that this praise was perceptive. It was perceptive praise. Now, what do we see here in verse number 12 and really moving from verse 1 through verse 17? Well, let's recognize this. Jesus has entered into Jerusalem on a donkey on Palm Sunday. This was the fulfillment of the prophecy that, as we have read, the king would come to you humble, meek, lowly, riding on a donkey. Jesus is intentionally fulfilling this prophecy. How do we know? Because he tells him to go look for a donkey. He says, go get the donkey and bring the donkey to me. So Jesus is aware of this prophecy. He is intentionally fulfilling it. He is intentionally assigning to himself the place of the Messianic king. And he comes into Jerusalem. The disciples are shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna meaning save or save now. It's a prayer. It's a plea to the son of David. The Messianic title. You are coming in the Davidic line. You are the Messiah. They were assigning him the name of the Messiah and encouraging him to save them now. And if we were to just take that and continue going through into verse 12, and Jesus went to the temple of God, we might think that he was doing it on the same day. But this is where it's helpful to know the harmony of the Gospels. Because if you were to go over to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 11, you would see that this was not the same day. Mark 11 tells us that Jesus came into the temple on Palm Sunday, looked around, saw what was there, and then went back to Bethany. The next day he came back to the temple and went in. Now there's no, of course, conflict between Matthew 21 and Mark 11. In between Mark 11, or sorry, verse 11 and verse 12 of Matthew 21, there is just a daybreak. There is information that Matthew did not see fit to share with us. So again, put that daybreak in between verse 11 and verse 12. So it's the day after. We're now on Monday, if you will, of Holy Week. And Jesus comes back into the temple. And now what happens? He begins casting out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. Now, it's important to note, if you were to look at John chapter 2, Jesus did this at the beginning of his ministry too. Did you know that Jesus twice cleaned, cleaned out the temple within a three-year time frame? Once at the very beginning, John chapter 2, once at the very end. They didn't get the picture the first time. And so Jesus comes back into the temple. We don't know whether he had a whip like he did the first time. We don't know all the details, but again, he goes into the temple and clears it out. Now, you might be thinking, what is this? What's going on? How does this picture? Well, this large building had a place, the very first court. If you were to walk into the court, into the temple, the first place you would come to was called the Court of the Gentiles. And it was called the Court of the Gentiles because anyone could enter. And it was a public place that people would be. And then you would go through the beautiful gate into 
the place that the Gentiles could not go. There was a court of the women, then there was a court only for men, a court for the priests, and then the Holy of Holies. So you had these various sections to the temple, and this one, where Jesus would have been clearing out, was, think of it as the public space, the court of the Gentiles, where people would be selling for people to buy animals and go into the temple with them. It became a place of commerce, a place of merchandise. And Jesus says to them in verse 13, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. You have made it a place for commerce, not a place for worship. And that is unacceptable to the one whose house it is. Now notice verse 14. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. The idea of this word sore displeased is they were bad. They were indignant. They had real indignation about this sight. Now, what was Jesus doing? He was cleaning the temple, and then he was healing now, if you were a Pharisee and you had seen Jesus come into your holy place and clear out people who were perverting it from a place of worship and then actively unleashing the healing power of God on the blind and the lame, the people who were most needy in that society, wouldn't your immediate response have been to say, praise God. The temple worship is getting to be what it should be and God's power is being unleashed, not them. Now, why is this important? Because Jesus has told us already in the book of Matthew that the healing of the blind and the lame was central to his messianic identity. Do you remember in the book of Luke, when Luke chapter 4, Jesus comes into the synagogue in Capernaum and opens up the scripture to the place of Isaiah 61, and he quotes these words, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind. Jesus knew that there was this messianic prophecy of what this Messiah would be doing. He would be a healer. In fact, in Matthew 11, John the Baptist sends to Jesus and says, in what appears to be a momentary period of doubt, are you the one that should come? Or are we waiting for someone else? And do you remember how Jesus handled that perhaps moment of weak faith in John the Baptist? He says to his disciples, hey, just watch what's going on for a little bit. Now listen to what Jesus says. Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. What was he saying to John? John, take a look. The proof is in the pudding. How do you want to know that I'm the Messiah? Look what's happening. Now, the people who knew Isaiah 61, the Pharisees, the people who knew the Messianic prophecies of the great power that would be unleashed at the coming of the Messiah, see it happening right in front of their eyes and are completely blind. Do you know who, who, who aren't blind? The kids. The kids. Why were the kids shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David? Do you think it is because they saw what Jesus was doing? 
Don't you think it wouldn't take a lot for a kid to start seeing things miraculous happening and start getting excited? That's who kids are. They get excited. They get enthusiastic about things. They were able to perceive what the educated and the wise and the spiritually sophisticated missed. Now here's a simple point that I want to make. Kids are able to see what is simple and obvious in ways that sometimes we as adults completely miss. There's that old tale that has persisted. Hans Christian Andersen, The Emperor's New Clothes. All the adults miss the fact that the emperor has absolutely no clothes on or they know it but they're too scared to say what is true lest they be thought foolish or unwise. And finally it takes the kid who looks at him and says, but he hasn't got anything on. And everyone says, oh, yeah, he doesn't. And if you've had little kids, you've known the perception and their connection to what they see immediately coming out of their mouth. I was out visiting yesterday and one of my little ones on the way away from one of the doors asked me as we were walking away whether the lady we had just talked to was having a baby. And I was pretty sure she was not having a baby, but my dear little one uh, asked that question and I, and I instructed, maybe we can save that question for the car, not on the sidewalk when we're walking away uh, almost as the door is closing. But that is just the child. They perceive what is simple and obvious. In fact, that shows also one of the things that we have seen today with all the gender identity nonsense and really evil that is going on. Children with a sense, a very simple sense of what is biologically obvious to us are being twisted or manipulated in the way that they perceive what is basic and obvious. We should be on our guard against these kinds of attempts to twist and to pervert. Because there is something in children that see simply what is right in front of them. And we should recognize that. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18 when the, when the disciples needed another correction? Actually turn back there just three chapters since we're so close. Matthew chapter 18 at that same time, verse 1, the disciples came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him, and set him in the midst of them, and said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Don't forget the incredible simplicity of the gospel that can be and will be accepted by the little humble child. And what we need to recognize is if our faith in that sense gets beyond that simple, basic, straightforward faith of the little child, we have missed it. We have lost something about what Jesus says is fundamental to the kingdom of heaven. Remember, in one chapter later in Matthew 19, he's continuing to have to correct his disciples. They, they, he brings children to them and they, they're trying to shush them away. No, don't, don't do this. And what does Jesus say? Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. Why? For of such, of these little children, is the kingdom 
of heaven. This is what they are like. They are revealing something to you, as Jesus says here in verse 4 of chapter 18, whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Let us remember that in the simplicity of the observation of a child about the work of God and the word of God, there's a lesson for all of us. We're to be like them. We're to be humble like that in our faith. We're to be simple like that in our faith. We are to be entirely straightforward in our faith in a way that the Pharisees in their own pride and in their own supposed sophistication entirely missed. They saw what was going on in front of them. And in that simplicity, they let this praise ring forth. So first of all, children's praise here was perceptive and it often is. But notice also, secondly, that I'm going to say it was proper praise. It was praise that was proper. It was fitting to the moment. Now, this again is where we run into challenge with the people who say children are to be seen and not heard. Let's start, first of all, by noting that it was educated praise. This is important. It was educated praise. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, what were they saying? Look with me back to chapter 21 and verse number 15. What were the children saying? Hosanna to the son of David. Now, do you think those kids came up with that on their own? Save now, son of David. Save now, son of David. Do you think they did? No. Where did they come up with that? When's the last time we saw in this chapter people saying Hosanna to the son of David? The day before? Go back just a few verses. Verse number nine. And the multitudes that went before and that followed crying, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Is it any wonder that the next day when the children are in the temple, they start repeating what they heard the multitude said about Jesus? What's the point? The point is this. Children need to be directed. They need to be instructed. And what instructs them most is your example and mine. The simple point is they were able to see people participating in praise of a particular sincere kind. And at the right perceptive moment, they were empowered to say the same thing. Do you know what warms my heart as a parent when I am around my children and I hear one of them start to sing a hymn that we maybe was just on our speaker or that they was or that was at church or some other thing and you know sometimes they're butchering the words but they're getting the main idea right where are they learning it they're learning it in what is around them and this is why i really encourage you of those of you who like me are young parents have good music on in your house have it on as often as you can have really good, simple praise that is your children's soundtrack because guess what? They're going to pick it up. And what your children are repeating to themselves, the music that they're singing is going to be very indicative of whether they are going to give this kind of proper, educated praise. What kind of soundtrack is on in your house as I ask myself, what kind of soundtrack is on in our house? 
The same is true for our bus children who come here on Sundays. I remember uh, very wise is um, I was a bus captain many years ago, and I remember Dan Medford. We were going on the bus, and a lot of times we were singing just very energetic little songs, but had virtually zero any kind of spiritual meaning or significance to them. And Dan very wisely said, why don't we teach him a song that maybe actually will have some meaning to them? And sure enough, we chose Burdens Are Lifted at Calvary. And we sang, and you should have heard those kids sing Burdens Are Lifted at Calvary. And you know, some of those now 10 or 15 years later, who knows when some of them will have burdens. And one melody, one phrase will come back. I used to sing that song, Burdens Are Lifted at Calvary. Sow into your children, invest into your children and into the children we minister to with educated praise. And don't be surprised when they come out with it in a very perceptive and a very proper way. So it was educated praise. It had been prepared and directed, but also recognized that it was what I'm going to call elementary praise. You could say it's simple praise. Hosanna to the son of David. Now, that's the only thing Scripture records that they said. And if you know kids like I know kids, they probably said it over and over and over again. How many of you have seen a child when they they just keep on asking the same question over and over and over and over again until your head's about to explode? You can just imagine them just saying, Hosanna to the Son of David, Hosanna to the Son of David, just so excited, working each other up, chanting and shouting and crying out, Hosanna! There's something about the simplicity of a child that allows them to be fixated on something simple and just continue to be entertained and inspired by that simplicity. And I want us to to acknowledge this as well, that something is simple does not mean that it is not spiritual. That praise is simple does not mean that it is not spiritual. And I say that because... One of the things that we have remarked on about some of the tendencies in the modern worship movement to focus on praise choruses or other forms of music that sometimes are very repetitive or are very simple, I think we rightly have a concern to say, well, we have to be careful. Simply uh, repetition can be just a kind of emotionalism or sensationalism that is not truly grounded in the word of God. But yet we sometimes need caution too. We need a warning as well to say that just because something is simple does not mean that it cannot be spiritually grounded and meaningful. And we see that when we sing children's songs. When we sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, that is a very simple message, and yet I hope that would speak to your heart. When we sing, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. We can go through any number, a variety of things that we should not suspect, oh, that's just for kids because it's simple. No, simple does not mean... It's not spiritually. And so let's also remember that when we're encouraging our children in praise, give them things that are appropriate to their age level. Give them things that are appropriate in simplicity for them. Do you remember Psalm 136? 
over and over again, verse after verse after verse after verse. For his mercy endures forever. For his mercy endures forever. For his mercy endures forever. Even repetition can be something powerful by way of praise. And we need not immediately reject it simply because it is simple. So their praise was educated, it was elementary in that it was simple and repetitive, but it was no less spiritual for it. But finally notice well that it was energetic. It was energetic praise. They were shouting. Scripture says they were crying. They were crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Now, why do I note this? Well, you know children are energetic. We see it every single Sunday morning. We're here. You who are Sunday school teachers see it even more clearly than the rest of us. Us who are young parents are dealing with that energy on a constant daily basis. It can be very tiring. It can be very difficult. But yet it is the nature of children to be energetic. What I want to point out is simply this. Jesus did not quiet their energy. Jesus did not say, kids, we're in the temple. Keep it down a little bit, okay? He didn't say to the Pharisees, okay, okay, I'm going to accept the message, but yeah, I do, you have a point. You have a point. Jesus dealt with the kids as kids, and when they said, don't you hear what these are saying? He said, yep, I do. I accept it. I accept it. Now again, am I saying that what we should be allowing is are the energy of children to run utterly rampant without any boundaries. No, of course not. As I said earlier, children need to be educated, they need to be directed, they need to be instructed, and they do need to be restrained. But the point is this. A child is a child. And the energy of the child, indeed when it is put to the right purpose, should be celebrated and not artificially restrained. Listen to what Spurgeon says. I think Spurgeon has some very wise words he says uh, here. He says, for a boy to put on the air and manners of a man is not sanctification. Now let that sink in. Sanctification is the spiritual work of God. For a boy to put on the air and manners of a man is not sanctification. That is to spoil him, not to sanctify him. And for a girl to be other than a girl and to assume the air and tone of her careful mother should be very mischievous. God does not sanctify children into men, but he sanctifies children in their own childlike way. He sanctifies children in their own childlike way. That's a good reminder for me as a parent in my attempts to instruct and bring my children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, I am in seeking to train them in their childlike way, not to try to bring them to a stage of adulthood or sobriety in a way that God has not allowed them to be. Jesus accepted energetic praise. He accepted loud praise from children. He did not seek to restrain it. And we should be cautious as well about not taking uh, artificial means of propriety. Children should be seen and not heard and reject what the sanctifying work that God can be doing in a child in a very childlike way. You know, this is one of the reasons I think that it's very important for us, even as we've had uh, uh, our, our time in the morning service with the children going out during the preaching, it's a wonderful thing 
to have them in the singing service with us, to experience their energy of song. It's one reason why I like to often include children's hymns in our morning service so that we can feel and experience the energy of very simple hymns with noise coming from that side of our sanctuary. Why? Because God sanctifies children just like he does adults and he does it in our season of life and in a way that is meaningful to the stage of life that we're in. So notice, first of all, it's perceptive praise. Notice, second of all, that it was proper praise in a very childlike way. But notice, thirdly, it was prepared praise. And I want us to see how Jesus responds to it in a way I think that is very significant. They said to him, verse 16, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus saith unto them, Yea, have ye never read, Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, thou hast perfected praise. Jesus responds to their criticism by saying, You're missing something about the Bible. Haven't you read? Now keep your finger in Matthew 21 and go back to Psalm chapter 8 because I think this is going to be helpful for us when we see what Jesus was thinking about what these children were doing. Psalm number eight. This is a very well-known psalm. Look with me in verse one. This is a psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength or established strength. That's kind of the idea. Because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still or put to silence the enemy and the avenger. Now, let's see if we can just understand very briefly what Jesus is referring back here to in Psalm 8. What is, what is God saying in Psalm 8? O Lord, our Lord. Now, he, that is saying, O oh, Lord. Now, you see how in verse 1 there is in your Bibles, the word Lord is in small caps. What does that mean when in your Old Testament the word Lord is in small caps? It's the name of Jehovah, Yahweh. So they're saying, Jehovah, Jehovah God, our Lord, our master. We, you, we are yours, in other words. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth who has set thy glory above the heavens. So your glory is even to the stars. It's obvious. It's there. But then notice what he says next. Your glory is elevated, and yet, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength. Now, when he uses babes and sucklings there in this ancient Hebrew day, you might not wean your child until they were two or three years old or even potentially older. So they would be speaking. So out of the mouth of these young children, you have established or ordained strength. Now, how does that make sense? The idea here of establishing strength is actually in the Hebrew of being a bulwark, like a fortress. You have established a position of strength. How? Out of the mouth of little kids, toddlers. Now stop for a minute and think. What on earth that comes out of the mouth of a toddler could be strength for God? 
could be a, an established fortress, a bulwark, a position of strength. Notice what he says. A position of strength because of thine enemies that thou mightest still or quiet the enemy and the avenger. This is going to shut them up. It's going to silence them. You say, what on earth could the voice of a small child do in that? Now pause. If you were to look back at Matthew chapter 21, Jesus quotes this same passage and says, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast, does he say establish strength or ordain strength? He says thou hast perfected praise. Now what is the reason for this difference from the Old Testament to the New? Well, Jesus was quoting the Septuagint the Greek translation of the Old Testament, and the translators in the Septuagint saw or felt that really what, Jesus, what the Old Testament was saying here was that what was coming out of the mouth of children? Praise. Praise. And so what Jesus is saying is, he's quoting this and he's saying, out of their mouth is coming something that is perfected praise. Or as the idea of the word is, to bring to completion some translations today use the word they have produced, I think is the word, produced praise. The idea is something is being brought out. Something is, I'm sorry, prepared is the word. Prepared praise. The idea is something being brought out that is meaningful, that is significant. You have prepared or perfected praise. Now let's stop there for just a moment. What is Jesus saying then here when he assigns that to himself? One thing very important. Who was the subject of the praise in Psalm chapter 8? Who was this praise about? O Lord, our Lord. O Lord, our Lord. Jehovah. You have established, you have ordained strength in the praise of children. And now what does Jesus say? That was talking about me. What is Jesus saying? I'm identifying myself with Jehovah God. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, you, Jehovah God, have ordained strength. And now the children are shouting in the temple, and Jesus says, don't you understand this was a prophecy about me the whole time? Don't you understand that this was about me, that I have been ordaining strength in the perfected, prepared praise of little children? Now, let this sink in for a moment. Almighty God was preparing the praise of, this chil of these children to testify to the divine nature of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. God had been preparing, foretelling, prophesying from thousands of years previous that children would be the one testifying to the nature of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And Jesus says, have you never read? Have you never read this prophecy? So let's go back to this question. How could the praise of children be a bulwark of strength against the enemies of God? And I'd ask you to consider Matthew chapter 11. Will you turn back with me to Matthew chapter 11 briefly? Matthew chapter 11. Jesus has just excoriated certain cities who had rejected his message, Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum. And listen to what he says in verse 25 
of chapter 11. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. You say, how would it be good in God's sight to reveal who Jesus is to those who are babes, whether babes spiritually or intellectually or physically? How could it be good in God's sight? And then we think about what God says elsewhere when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, look around, where are the noble? Where are the wise? Where are those who are sophisticated in this world's eyes? They're not there. Who did God choose? God chose the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. He chose the foolish things of the world to confound the things that are wise. And you say, oh, oh, this is a parable acted out. That the children in the temple were the ones who saw Jesus and recognized him in a sense for who he was, while the wise and the sophisticated completely missed him. They were blinded. Do you wonder how many of those children we'll see in heaven one day? Wouldn't it be pretty neat to walk up to one of them uh, in, in a new heaven and a new earth, and them say, yeah, I had the privilege of seeing Jesus in the temple, and I got to lend my voice to shouting out? What is it? It's a God who delights in using things that are small and weak and despised and foolish and proclaiming his truth in a way that will shut up his enemies. Isn't it interesting that after this point, the Pharisees don't say another word to him? This apparently does quiet them. This apparently does still them. Jesus says, have you never read from Psalm chapter 8? And then he leaves. These Pharisees had been become the enemy and the avenger whose words have been stilled before the prepared and perfected praise of little children testifying to the divine nature and the calling of Jesus the Messiah. Where do we close here? It means this. Just like God chose children to proclaim the nature and calling of the Messiah 2,000 years ago, he's still doing it. Your children, their praise, their simple unadorned praise of Jesus Christ can be a testimony to still those around you. Don't hinder your children. Don't hinder these children from offering their praise very simply, very innocently, very sweetly to who Jesus Christ is. Have you ever been out with your child and suddenly they just start doing something very open about their spiritual life and perhaps you felt, whoa, 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 don't be, whoa, uh, this, this just feels uncomfortable. No. God can be using them to testify to the nature of Jesus Christ in their simple, unadorned way, in a way that will still, that will silence the voices of the wise and the sophisticated who aren't prepared to accept it. Remember this. Children should be heard sometimes, just like they're seen. In, when their praise is perceptive, seeing simply what God is doing. When their praise is proper, it's been educated, it's elementary and simple to their age, and it's energetic. And most importantly, their praise has been prepared 
by Almighty God to testify to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Let's all pray and let's all who are adults here commit to doing whatever we can to setting an example of that kind of praise that our children will follow. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the praise of these children. We sang that today, to whom the lips of children made sweet hosannas ring. We thank you, Father, that you have hid these things from the wise. You have revealed them to babes. We thank you for the children here who have accepted the work of Jesus Christ for themselves. Thank you for the simplicity of their faith, for the humility of their faith. And Father, may we never outgrow that. May we never become too sophisticated in our own eyes to accept the humility that our faith should represent. And Father, may we be those who seek to encourage our children's praise, to direct it, instruct it, yes, but ultimately to see it as an offering of worship to you that can be a bulwark of strength against those who would oppose it. Let's pause for a moment with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Whether you're a parent here today or a Sunday school teacher and are challenged in the way that you teach, or maybe, maybe you've been challenged to be a little more childlike in your faith, to return to the simplicity of, of just unadorned praise that is like a child's. Whatever it is, may the Spirit of God speak to us.